Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. I'm Sean Borstrock. Luxury to me is always grounded in heritage and provenance. My guest on this episode evokes exactly both those qualities. Andile Tialbani is one of South Africa's foremost ceramic artists. Guided by a deep spiritual connection to his Koza ancestors, Andile's complex, large-scale ceramic artworks are a metaphorical vessel through which he seeks to honor his cultural traditions and share his journey of healing. His medium of clay is at its most fundamental a life-affirming connection to the soil. But by providing a medium for storytelling, it is also an essential energetic link to his past, present and future. Andile, thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Uh, thank you, Sean. Thank you. So I wanted to start, uh, as I always do on the um, podcast, by asking you something about yourself. So just tell us about yourself and tell us what it is you do for work. So my name is um, Andile Gialvani. I am a South African uh, residing and based in Cape Town. I am from the countryside here in South Africa, the Eastern Cape. Uh, that is where I grew up. This is where I went to school uh, until, say, grade 12. That's where um, I planted the land, I walked the land, and I hunted and I drove my family's livestock. And uh, based in Cape Town, I came to Cape Town around 95 and uh, in pursuit of education or perhaps the so-called greener pastures. And I thought at the time, and my interest in being art and design without knowing much of it at the time, but I don't know how I can say the talent, but that is what I do now is I'm a ceramic artist and um, I'm co-owning a company called Imiso Ceramics. We are based in Woodstock. And uh, so for 15 years now, we've been at that. And um, I'm making uh, amazing uh, collectible ceramic objects from clay furniture functional sometimes but at most more statement collectible pieces uh, of ceramics what's the most exciting thing about what you do uh for me wow it's i guess it's being able to express myself to start with uh through the medium that sometimes can be looked at as just mediocre if you want to call it because when you're able to take that object or the medium the material itself and be able to convert it into these beautiful objects that people go you know uh sometimes i would say gobsmacked by just looking at the sheer beauty or the sheer expressions onto the objects created by just the sheer material so for me that's that's one aspect but also being able to to really uh create statement pieces and express oneself through the medium or creating uh, creating this medium uh, conveying messages and narratives to this object and knowing that you know it can live for generations and generations to come and the story will be told that it documented to this object that is exciting why did you choose ceramics it's an interesting one um, so growing up in the countryside in the eastern cape in a small village called Ngobozana, uh, i've mentioned earlier that uh one would consider this as a farm boy, but this is was a, a typical lifestyle that you'll find in villages where you have a livestock, you have land, you've got the forest, you've got the, all the fields, which these are part of your everyday um, you know, activities because you live off the land, you live off the livestock, it's part of your wealth. So part of that as a boy or any child in the villages, they, uh, they have these duties 
to look after the livestock, to learn how to feed from or work the land and sustain the land and the forest and so everything that is around there. And one of those, as a boy, you do head the cattle and any livestock. So you drive them to the greener pastures, literally. And, and, and in so doing, you then have these games that you play uh, in the river or in dams, where then one of the things was for us to gather the clay as we pass in time and we make these objects. Now, what, was, what one must know is that in the villages at that time and in South Africa, art itself, and so the type of education that was at that time, uh, art was not in the vocabulary of people because um, it was never considered as any sort of uh, career that one can make a living at all in terms of a career-wise. But yes, there were people in the village and still people in the village that are makers of objects to use every day. So my point where I'm coming at is that when we were making these objects like clay animals or clay objects or tools, so to say, unfired just as games as kids, we did not know, I did not know that I would make a career of this. Now, when I fast forwarding, when I finished my uh, matric, which is a grade, equivalent to a grade 12 before college, then I could see I could draw, right? Like sketch a lot. I need to be in trouble with that because that was part of my subject. And all at the college, one of the subjects was ceramics or pottery and drawing and graphic design and whatnot. So when they told me that um, the cups and saucers that were in my grandmother's cabinet were made out of clay, I couldn't believe it because I had never put that the clay that we were playing and fired and to this bone China white cups and saucers there. So it sort of blew my mind because it's a different, different way of understanding now. I was like, so I chose it because it reminded me of my childhood and knowing that I can have access to this material abundantly in my backyard anytime. And, and for that reason, I, was, I could see that the minute I start touching it, it reminds, it reminds me of, of the river that runs in my village, the first rains that you get in, in the spring, the smell of the clay itself. So all of those senses evoke so much memories that I can express and start to communicate and remember through this, through this material and the practice as well. So that's a long and short of, of that answer. It's a fantastic story. Has your relationship then with clay changed? It, um, it has not changed at all, other than I think it has evolved, perhaps. Because I still, you know, when I'm touching clay, I'm still as honest as I would have been when I was a child. Because every time I touch clay, even if it's a, in, in, after a long time or if I'm doing it every day, the first thing and when I'm opening that bag or that pile of clay that I would have prepared or maybe uh, received, that smell it already takes me back to my childhood, all times, you know. And and when that happens already, you know, like I guess the creative juices and the messages that need to flow through what I'm creating, they start flowing as well. Uh, but more so now, where I'm talking about evolution is, is understanding the medium and how I can best express myself, how I can best use it, perhaps as a tool to communicate uh, whatever issues or whatever narrative that I'm trying to bring across. And, but also to, 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 to make objects that perhaps are big, breaking boundaries in terms of not just the clay pot, not just another plate, 
uh, if it is a pledge, it really has to uh, be an intentional object, be on an aesthetic, on a practical, on a design sense, perhaps, so that it doesn't end up, you know, in a garage sale somewhere. But it needs to really, when one is experiencing that object that has been that I've created through this clay, breaking the boundary in terms of technique and scale and perhaps, you know, form and, and so on, is that people must wonder, have the sense of wonder, sense of like uh, an, an emotion that can be evoked by this piece. So I guess, you know, and that's the thing about clay is that there's no way you can resolve everything in my lifetime. We discover things every day and all time as well. I like that description, you know, a sense of wonder. Your heritage plays a, a big part then in the way you approach your work, doesn't it? Very much so. If I may just then touch on what you're mentioning in terms of like the culture and the heritage that plays in my work. And I think that's for now, like right now, that's what my work is has evolved into. And, and I guess as one is maturing in understanding why they do what they do. And, and because your one's expression is based on the experience and the, the wisdom, if, if, if you want to call it that way, in terms of all what you've experienced and what you've learned and, and what your purpose is as well. So for me, I think it's something that I've realized about my work and about my, my, my purpose is that the clay is a gift from my ancestors and from, you know, God, uh, you, you, you can say that. And, and I'm mentioning this because we, when we pray, so to say, or meditate or speak or channel uh, uh, or, or pay gratitude, we, we, we pay homage to those who came before us. And because they've passed, we consider them that they're closer to God. So it, this is a way of respecting the God, so to say. Right, so I'm mentioning that, and 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 so clay is one of the of, of the tools that I use to communicate the messages that I guess God has given me, or the or, or the purpose that I'm here in this earth to 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 serve, right? So when we, when I exclaim tamago, which is an expression of gratitude of acknowledging those who came with before me, those who are with me and working with me, and then the next generation as well. It's, it's acknowledging that the gift that I have and using the clay to express that and to communicate what was and what is now and but for the next generation, that's, that's, that's where the culture comes in. And then also uh, using the objects and the reinstating some of the, the dignity that was stripped away due to the colonization uh, and, and, the, and the apartheid in the country and the Christianity that is done in, 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 in the tribes that we are and um, stripping away the heritage and the culture and certain practices and rituals and using the, the objects that are made in the reinstalling and bring dignity into, in, into the community, into, into, into our people. So I guess that's where the culture plays a role. That's where you will find certain elements that I create or that I, the markings that I have in some of the pieces. They touch on sort of what I call it a lost uh, traditions or lost rituals and trying to document them for the next generation, but also to educate the world, outside the world, out, uh, out of our, our, our heritage as to why certain rituals are created and that people are educated and they, they understand why is that. 
Um, so that's that's where the culture plays, and I can go and, and go on and on about it. It's fascinating. I mean, the thing that strikes me from what you've said, I mean, it, it's the cultural thing extends beyond this spiritual connection. You also mentioned the colonization of, Afri- yes, of South Africa, yes. um, and you mentioned apartheid. Were you around in the days of apartheid, or had it already been, um, had Mandela already come to power? Yes, I was around. I was around. Yes, I was around. But at the time when the uprising and heavily trying to get Mandela out and into that pressure that eventually got out, I was still in the Eastern Cape in the countryside, which we were not as much affected by the pressures and the fears and the torture that people in the cities and the township felt. Right, and I'm saying this because it it has a lot, and one can see and witness it. In, in the people that stays in the villages uh, compared to people that stays in the township, the township which is the, the shanty towns or where people, people, people or, or people of color were segregated and placed in these concentration places, so to say. So I was, yes, I was around. And how it affected me was the fact that, for instance, my, my father was not uh, with us in, um, as often. So we probably see him like three weeks um, a year because he was then forced to be in the city to work and he can only get a, a break around Christmas time and we only see him there. So we didn't really have that much of a relationship with him because he was a stranger. So you are raised by the females or the women in the village and few men that maybe have not gotten a job or maybe retired that will play a role of a father figure. So that's that, that aspect itself. And then the the educational aspect of it in terms of like the standard and the level of education or the quality of education in terms of the Western education compared to um, the, 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 the whites in the country the, in terms of what sort of um, education that they would be, uh, uh, they would receive. So there was those disparities as well. But fast forwarding it to Eventually, I came to Cape Town already. This was after we voted and everything, but I couldn't vote in the first time. I was still young, I think I was 16. Um, um, but then at least things would open up, and but people were still adjusting to all of that. But people lost, we've lost like the relationship uh, within the fathers and some brothers being um, part of the struggle and arrested and not able to continue with, with their education because they weren't happy with that, they had to uprise. So yes, we 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 felt that we felt that very much, and there is a view of that. You know, they trickle down, and then you can see how people react to you when you come to the city because you, this is the color you are, or you're coming from this place, and so on and so on. You know, the list is endless. So I just want to pick up on the traditional aspect of your village life and how that influenced you. What was the what was that structure? in the village like i mean you were you talking that most of the men were working in the cities and you were in effect brought up by the women in the village i mean how how did that manifest itself because i think i mean that must have informed yes so i think one of yes for me how all of this is played out is like um just give you perhaps a bit of a background on the family structure in, at, at home. My parents both were, you know, were married until my father passed about uh, 
just six or seven years ago now, can remember. And then he had a brother who stayed next to him. Uh, older brother went retired, so he played that father figure. So uh, uh, I did not not have a structure uh, in that sense. And then I had my mother, I had my aunt, who was uh, my um, father's uh, father's sister, who played and helped my mother in terms of like you know educating us, disciplining us, and preparing us to go to school and teaching us the ways of the village, of 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 you know the land and animals and so on. So that was beautiful. And what I must bring to 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 your attention is that. The practice of Ubuntu, it, it is about why you are who you are based because you are with other people or because of other people, but also you participate. So that's very important because you're not only the child to your parents, you are the child of this village. So when they groom you and teach you and discipline you, they want you to be the contributing member of this community when you grow up. And that's very important. And this is what runs in my veins, in my system, in my DNA, because it's something that it's almost like paying forward, knowing that that same person will do the same thing to the next person. And that is something that was embedded in my, in my family. And more also, one other thing is um, the Christianity. So that was something that was enforced and people were lured to be Christians and, and you would be forced only to go to church and uh, disregard and all everything that is traditional or ritualistic that you do culturally, it will be considered as barbaric or demonic or something like that. At that time, the apartheid even had a law, if you are seen wearing your traditional clothes or practicing such rituals or cultural rituals, you'll be detained. It's an, it's a, it's an offense. And that's, that's how it is. And then you'll find that it's the, the missionaries, um, in my area, it's Anglican. Um, it's it's almost I think it's Anglican. It's Catholic. It's similar to Catholic. So there was a lot of that. But what what in my my growing up, there was somehow an easing of this because my family practice. We're going to church every Sunday, pray every night, you know. Uh, but at the same time, when there's a ceremony that needs to happen, they will fifty percent of their time they will dedicate to that as well. So I grew up. Yes, forced to go to church up until I realized that no, there's something wrong here because there's a lot of things that are questionable, and it's a lot of our rituals either done in certain, like in a, in a in isolation, in a in a, in, a, in secret, because the elders were, were still fearing that the next they understand that perhaps you have a calling that requires you to practice to do a certain ritual, they will shut you down basically because they fear that you will be in trouble and they will be in trouble with the authorities. Now that we are this generation that somehow is considered as free, that we can express ourselves freely. And so one believes that we are the one that say the ancestors um, prayed for so that we can continue where they left off. So my um, practice with clay and, and, and reinstilling the artifacts and certain practice and proud in ourselves it's me taking the pattern from my from my ancestors and continue where they left off. And that's where the tradition plays in. That's why I am even more um, driven and, and, and intentionally practicing and even taking the works that I do break home. So for the people to, to know that these are the ways that used to be and somehow I've been someone and I've been channeled to be able to reinstill that and see how they respond and bring that dignity to them as well.
I'm hoping that gives you a bit of a, of a of an understanding of why this is so important. It absolutely does, and it leads perfectly into my next question, which is about luxury. You know, when we think about luxury, we think about heritage and we think about provenance, and you've got this amazing backstory that informs your practice. I was just wondering if you think of your work and what you produce as being luxury. Yeah, I guess. Well, one also have to unpick what's luxury as well. Um, yes, in terms of, exactly. You know, in my case, well, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it's a it's a it's a difficult one because again, see, my language itself. So I speak Isitosa, being Umtosa, right? That's the how you would classify me the, the tribe if you want to call it so Umtosa. So we did not have luxury, right? And I'm saying this because. That's a voc- that's an English vocabulary, and I don't even know where it's derived from. But you probably will know. But here, I'm coming at is that ideally being within the practice of Ubuntu, right? So everyone is supposed to be equal, because everyone, whatever bread that you have, whatever that you have, you break into, and so you, the whole family, the whole village, you know, share. So the standard of luxury is, if we were to say, is that. Everyone has to have an object, have to have like a sustainable and easy and a peaceful and a, uh, peaceful life that, that is sustainable, sustainable. So whatever that you use, uh, it's meant to be practical and to be useful. Yes, there's an aesthetic to it, but yes, also there's a, there's a, when I say sustainable, you take and you use only what you need. And you don't just, you know, like for instance, uh, we, uh, if I, you, uh, I mentioned to you that we used to hunt, right? We only hunt when we travel far distances to fetch the, the livestock or the kettles in the mountain because now we're hungry. And then if we were with the dogs, they will bring the, 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 the game and then we'll be fed as the, as, the, as the shepherds and then we'll bring some home. And that's about it. You don't hunt for the sake of trophies. Because you know it's supposed to be a luxurious lifestyle. No, and if you plow the land, you do that, and then you and the the rest of the community takes part, and then everyone share the you know the harvest equally, based on what they contributed as well. So it's a very tricky one when you speak of luxury, and when I speak of the luxury in terms of my 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 heritage and my culture as well. But at the same time, the objects that I create now, having been in this globalized world and, and, and industry, yes, there's a sense of luxury because one get to experience, um, in my interpretation, what kind of African luxury based or informed by the Western ways. So these beautiful created objects that have this deep uh, narrative that is so informative. That is my luxury. Beautiful, intentional objects that are supposed to live way beyond the generations to come will still tell the story and the history of why, what was the intention of these pieces. That's my luxury. You know, and having people to be able to experience not only the objects, but the rituals and activities around the objects and why they were made. That's my luxury. You know, how the, the environment and, and how these pieces are created and, and the materials that where they're coming from, that's my luxury. And that's how I interpret my luxury as well. It's a slightly conflicted story, isn't it? I'm thinking about 
what your ancestors may say or in fact what the people in the village might say about about this idea of you know your work now being seen as a luxury but it comes from the heart and it comes from your heritage and from the village this is where maybe it's going to answer or maybe will give uh, clarity or in in my uh, pursuit of having my work accessible to anyone and everyone and and why is that is because every piece that i create is destined for someone who needs that piece who needs to receive a message or a, a message that came through when one was making that piece right so my last attempt not attempt but my last practice and offering uh, when i did this exhibition or offering itongo which i took to my village created this beautiful body of work of stools that are informed by symbols that i dreamt and that speak of different objects and practices and various things in my culture and but also generally in 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 uh, um, in the world as well um so what one of the things i i decided to do was to take these objects all of the stools before they can go to new york or cape town bring them to the village and so that the villagers that have seen and 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 put their blood and sweat in raising and contributing in my education my upbringing that they can experience the success remember i've mentioned that when they raise you and guide you they want you to be the contributing member of this of, of of this community now that's how that is important they i i felt that having going through the pandemic and the stresses and people losing uh, so much of their lives that the work that I was doing was very important to bring hope to also to to have them to have a sense of 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 self of who they are and 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 praising and uh, and, and 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 priding themselves of one of theirs who's bringing dignity and reminding them of the old ways through these artifacts that carry these messages now here's what i'm saying then is that i have an intention i intend i intend i also do that is i will make pieces and i'll gift them because the monetary value that is placed by either the galleries or this the the industry in my objects it's it's so far-fetched for the villager people who see the object and they know what it's meant for and it did the object itself do the job that it needs to do in terms of the the messaging or the energy that it carries to heal or to restore or to proud to help one to remember and that was why that reason for these objects that needed to be in the village and have one piece um, mounted in my ancestral grave site in order for us to remember there's one amongst all of us in this generation who remembers them and who can try and appease their spirit so that we can continue where they left off so that's why we're talking about conflicting is that the objects so i even created about 100 clay pots to offer each village each each homestead in the village as a way um to almost plant a seed that will ignite those memories and those rituals you say you know what the artifacts that were taken and stolen away from you this is one of them may this be a seed that will be an oasis in this trying to you know refuel and rewater the the the, the let's put it this way the the cultural and the heritage um within everyone's homestead 
So that's uh, if if this maybe is 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 an attempt to make you understand this is what my I'm I'm trying to do and 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 I'm really that's the next thing big thing probably I will do it's continue where where I've left off with the Sitong uh, offering uh, that I did last day. What do your family think about your work? By now they 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 understand the purpose of the work. They they for instance. Uh, about 15, uh, 13 years ago, I made this one clay pot as a gift to my father. At that time, he had retired, he was still in the village. And when I did that, and for me, it was just a mere gesture to show him this is what I do when I'm in Cape Town in my studio. Little did I know that was when I, when I arrived at home, this is when I would be told what exactly is my purpose is. And they said that through that object, says, now that we can see what you do is to help us to remember, is to help us to bring dignity to, to who we are and for what we've lost. So they understand that there's something bigger than objects. There's everything that I've mentioned about. And they value, and they understand, and they proud themselves to have a son who can put their village in the map, who can put the name of Jalvani and Ojolom Pangomo, and that now they are known for what they do and for the messaging and trying to unite and reignite, you know, the, the messaging. So they yeah, are still very proud in that sense. And the villagers themselves, if I talk about how they reacted to the work that was brought to them when I came in, I, I, I never realized how, when I say thirsty, to learn about or to freely express to the world what they can do with their hands. That's that that for me that was that was the success of the exhibition. Wherever it, it went, it, it was just a bonus on the on the uh it was basically a children talk, but the reaction from my villagers was was classic. It's an amazing, you know, this is an amazing story to tell because I mean I, I, you know in my mind which is what I've said in the introduction to our chat, is that, you know, this idea of, as I said earlier, uh, tradition and provenance um, epitomizes what luxury is, but also this idea of you exposing um, so many people to to your work, which I suppose as a child, you had no idea, you know, how your um, love of clay and your surroundings would manifest itself into all this work that you produce. Yeah, that's 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 yeah, that's that's true. As I said, it's an uh, it's an amazing story. I want to do um, I want to do ask you about your the materials you use. Yes. So, are the materials you use now the same as the materials that you used as a kid? Are you experimenting with other materials? Do you use porcelain, for example? So, when I was a kid, the clay that we used was straight directly from the riverbanks and as raw as could be. And uh, I think I've mentioned that at that time, because no one was practicing any of ceramics in my village or even in neighboring villages, um, because people were made to depend on. Uh, you know, buying ready-made either from China or from wherever, uh, plastic and metal stuff, because that's how the system uh, was created to, to be. But clay, the one that we used to play with, was straight from the from the from the river. You can just mold it and make whatever you make make. And 
but we didn't fire it because we didn't know of any technology of firing it. I think the closest uh, I had to fire the clay was when I took my beautiful clay oxen because I really had to, I wouldn't leave it in the river because that's what we used to do. You make these things and then leave them there because, you know, the goat is grazing someone's feet and then you have to just run and make sure that doesn't happen. And then the river and the animals will crumble and then go back to earth. I had it next to the fire at home in the evening when I was hungry, waiting for the food to cook. Somehow this clay pot, I mean, this clay uh, oxen was turning red. And and I never pursued that. I didn't think that, that, I mean, I should sort of put it in the fire and see if it's going to melt. But now, in retrospect, I, I thought of that. So, and then um, now the kind of clay that I use, um, it's a clay that has been uh, dug in the surrounding areas in the Western Cape and sometimes the Eastern Cape. Slightly it's different because each clay is different. Yes, it may it may vary based on the uh, where you source it, be it close to the mountain or in the rivers or wherever the case may be. Uh, so it's different. But I usually mostly, especially now, I choose clay that is closest to the clay and the colors of my my home soil. That's to start with as a way of trying to communicate and connect with that and the, the closest of the narrative and the energy of what I'm trying to put to. And one of the things I do is uh, every time when I go home, I collect some clay from the river and I'll mix or create with that clay um, or maybe using uh, clay slips or paints, uh, pigment, and uh, some oxide, but you, the, body, uh, the majority of the base will be the clay from the village or any other place that I've been to. And yes, I have used porcelain in attempt, uh, again, based on the studies and, and understanding of these materials and the qualities of that. So creating some lighting and whatnot. Um, and that was just one phase for a particular exhibition. So I don't use it all the time at all now. Now, most clay that I use is based on the, uh, especially mostly the terracotta clay, clay, uh, very coarse, very uh, uh, sort of almost like closer to the, the color of the soil in the religion. And then at times, I mostly use very little glazes, shiny glazes in the, in the object that I use. Again, it's trying to really bring the, the, the expose the body of the clay itself, the natural uh, colors of the clay. Has your design process changed at all then? My design process, it, it, it hasn't changed other than I think I've, learned, I've got to understand as well in terms of how it comes about. Uh, appreciating the visions that comes and which uh, I so what happens is that the vision comes like a very vivid vision of the piece finished like split second and then the next thing if I'm not in the studio I'm at home so I always have the sketchbook right and so when that happens and it's an idea an object that needs to come out and I start shaking so if I'm not able to have the clay at hand then I have to sketch that realistically and, and from there and then these visions will still will keep coming because they're really like i guess it's a phase it's something that needs to come out as this information that may be trying to be conveyed or channeled to me as it's in a sense so from there i'll start having uh, all of these you know, have a conversation with my wife and maybe some other people around me and this is this vision keep coming and then you can see the sketches so we start uh, investigating as to uh, what may be the narrative that want to come through. So that's the next step. And then mood board in the research that, um, that, 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 that accompanies that. And then from there, then I'll start making my kits and everything. And, uh, and then 
start sketching even more technical drawings on the walls on the on the studio and making uh, these objects and realizing them so it has evolved in a sense that i, I tend to realize and uh, every step is very important and more so to take the viewer in that journey of from the from the idea being uh, come as a vision to the illustration to the studio to the markets and to the final product so it becomes part of the exhibition itself as well you have your vision and you realize that vision through um, illustration and then prototyping and then final product that's correct yeah right and then so i know that with the chairs there was a collection of items because there were many of those chairs yes um do you always work in a collective or do you do lots of individual pieces um, that are not part of a, a narrative, for example? Um, I, I've, I work in, in collections, yeah. Uh, so teams, if you, if, you, if you want to call it in that sense, yeah. So it's, it's uh, for instance, the chairs, the, the, the uh, stools, you want to call it, is, um, it's called Itongo. So it's a Itongo collection. And then the previous one say it was each other collection. So each collection or each narrative obviously has its own message and its own uh, message that is trying to express. So that's how it works. And for each collection, then there, there will be, I'll create, there's a narrative, there's a symbol, and uh, the whole uh, maybe kind of material that one may choose to use, uh, what message this is trying to do and i create a symbol or a stamp for each narrative and that's how actually how these symbols that these tools were based on came about as well after so many collections i started realizing that if i put that particular symbol there and you've you've been exposed to that collection you already know what andy was saying about the symbol and then you put them together you can create like you can communicate um almost like how back in the days people used to do with the, with the glyphs and stuff like that so yes it's 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 through collections does technology impact your work i mean do you use any cad software for example or 3d printing or anything like that mm. i'm still old school i guess <laughs> no not at all i mean it's something that i i i've been exposed to once but i think for me you you would notice this is that even the preferred method of making is hand beading, which is a coiling technique that I, I prefer. I can throw, for instance, using the potter's wheel, I can slip cast and so on and so on. But my most preferred method is hand beading. And what that allows me, allows me to create an environment where I put on the, a, a beautiful piece of music or a sound that I may have created itself, you know, with an indigenous instrument or a clay object that creates sounds. So. What I'm trying to paint the picture here is that how that is important is that my whole body, when I'm creating a, a, a body of work, it's it's a it's a it's my it's it's a certain rite of passage in my in my in my spirituality itself as well. So when I immerse myself by moving with the clay and 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 when my body and the sound and the energy that is around the, the space it channels and it, it guides where this piece is going or how it may be finished. So yes, technology does not necessarily influence because I prefer, you know, still the, the handmade. I mean, I mentioned I sketch, I use a, a pen, like a big pen on my sketchbook. 
beautiful and it's it's part of meditation it's part of an expression it's part of the process of mentioning so um yeah that's that's i'm still old school like that and i think if anything if if anything i've realized and and a couple of people have said and i've noticed that yes with everything that the technology has has is providing is a tool as well like a pen is like a you know the the, the hand and and the clay is it's how one uses it as well but people because of the the industrial the the, the, the industrialization and also the technology people are still longing for things that were made by hand somehow they feel like they have some kind of a soul i feel uh you know when you're seeing something that is beautifully crafted by hand and you wonder wow this person you know the time and the hours that have been put in making this thing that's the sense of wonder i wonder what you think about all those other products out there that are called luxury products but aren't made in you know or don't have that same approach to the making that you do but they're still you know where they're making thousands and thousands of things and they call them luxury and you are spending many hours thinking about the process and about what you might make and the outcome i wonder what do you think about those products that are mass produced and call themselves luxury yeah that's an interesting one again because i think one can create an object even you can put in hours i guess like i would do and any other crafter or maker who is i guess still traditional will do but perhaps if it is in a setting or is not presented or curated or or in a in a i guess in a way that that speaks of luxury as a guideline what the luxury is alone uh, uh, but you know then it may not be as luxurious it may look very cheap for instance i'm looking at example but i guess the the choice of materials used themselves and how they executed in terms of uh the quality of that work itself and the intention of the work itself as well so it, it's a it's a it's a tricky one so to say in terms of comparing what i where i come from and what i do and and, and uh, for me i respond to objects that are beautifully crafted if you know anyone perhaps or most people can use a 3d printer and print print a beautiful k-pod and whatnot and but that that's that's a tool can that person use this tool in a much more um sort of like a challenging in a, uh, 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 a way that can like really blow my mind you know because that's that's the thing is that i i respond to such it has to be beautiful the narrative and the intention of that piece needs to have something that's gonna say you know what i can take i can talk about this piece and it will have a very lasting memory and the message and perhaps it would be addressing something sustainable perhaps or you know uh, so for me uh, ideally if it doesn't fit most of these boxes then uh you know i kind of like i would discard it in a sense yeah so that's my response in the end so i guess that may be bringing me or you to the effect that so if anything that i'm making they need to be intentional because there are a lot of other people that can make just beautiful objects like me right and but ideally when you're making something it may be as simple as a coffee mug really but it really you need to make it in a way that it, it 
it has a feeling of the maker that you you want to have your cup of coffee in that and that it may not be replaced by any other unless it breaks you know and that's intention that must be intentional because there's so many products out there you are already uh, being told you need to buy this you need to consume this you need to take this and take this but you know why is that you know because you can have just one object that you need and use that and when it's done then you get another one not because you just have to have so many because you are told that now this trend is done so the next trend is to have a yellow or, or something like that no so i need to have one of your coffee mugs then when i do make one it will be the best coffee mug you probably won't need any milk or anything <laughs> your coffee something like that <laughs> Okay, so when I'm next in Cape Town, I'm going to come and find you and I'm going to get my coffee mug. I will, then let me know in time in advance so I can create a channeling that you come in, then I will make it thinking about you. <laughs> you briefly mentioned sustainability and I wondered what sustainability means to you. I think it's, for me, it's again, it's, it, it's, it has to do with the, the materials itself, like where you, how you source your material. You know, and and um, because we find that you the clay that we may be using, and it will leave like this cash and this big wound in this earth, and that all the 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 environment around where the clay was mined is you know it's it's disappeared and it's disrupted and everything. So how can one address such things? So one needs to be able to be mindful of such things, but also again similar to the coffee mug story is that when one making an object so if i'm if i'm if i'm making anything i cannot just make for the sake of making there need to be an intention there need to be a destiny for this object what's my intention what, what is it that i'm trying to to to, to communicate with this object that will uh, bring a message of sustainability message of uh uh you know how how can we be better people in this world? You know, um, how can we teach? How can we create uh, the world that will have our that our kids when they grow up that they won't struggle? You know, I mean, so that's that's for me that's that's very important that you don't just create for the sake of creating, but you understand the the the, the raw materials that you're using, where they're coming from, and how you can best also. For instance, we in our in our studio we. When stuff don't make, say they break or anything, a lot of other people they they either would throw that clay away and continue because they're busy, they don't have that time. It's important that you are able to reuse clay can be reused and reused so for many times, and that's one other important to be mindful of the wastage that one is doing, and 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 so that's that's those are those are very sort of important things to me. Do the people who buy your work? Uh, understand and appreciate the narrative behind the the process. Yes, very much so. And I think we've 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 taken to uh, very very seriously because one of the things that we do is I, I think I found the people that I became that were my collectors or be the first client or first time buying. Either I'll have a cup of coffee or tea with them and we have a conversation. I especially when I used to try and sell my work in the time, I, I never used to say, okay, this is what you, you must buy. I'm having a conversation and, and telling them who I am, what I'm doing, why I do what I do, where I come from, whatever are the values that, you know, that I stand for. 
then from there because they understand the narrative then i'll start speaking of certain elements of why this element in this work is here or why this form or why this color and why not and so on and so on and what inform all of the design process and all this narrative and this is where they say you know what i think i need to have one of the pieces so that i can then tell the next the people that i love or the people that will sit on the table or they come to my house and 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 then for me i think if that's one thing that made me realize how powerful what i'm doing is is knowing that the love and energy that i put in these pieces it gets echoed by the people that are telling stories to and they sit around the table around the fire and they speak about these energies beautiful uh, emotion that evoked by these pieces they want to take that emotion and 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 and, and share it and then and it's just love made it just resonated to many many ways even without my presence there but the piece does that and that's how i see those people appreciate that story and i've have had opportunities where i would travel you know to the london or new york or, or, or other places where i would meet the people that came to south africa and my shop and said you know what you need to come and see this piece that you may have done like 20 years ago. It's so amazing where you see how it's placed. It is a prime position, beautiful lit, and stories and images that they've taken around for Christmas dinners and so on and so on around this piece. For me, that's beautiful. I wonder if the people who buy your things think of them as luxury items. I don't know, actually. I have no idea. What I, what I understand, again, so most people that I've interacted with and either me being present with the purchasing the piece or not i don't know they i've never heard them say luxury they there's something about soulful there's something about again the narrative and the energy that they can feel and sense when they are uh, they in the presence of this piece and whatever that they discover over time and looking at different elements hidden details and so on in the pieces so I'm not. I don't know if if they would say luxury. If luxury is 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 it has to do with money, there are people that will buy it based on the value of that piece, and it says okay because it's so expensive, then it's luxury, right? And so you have some of the pieces. I, I don't know if this if if this also gonna add into this, but I know there's one time in our gallery, someone walked in and they didn't know where I was. I was just in the studio. They walked in. They came. They said. Uh, I bought a piece five years ago and it was worth this amount and I can see Angela is being you know all over the place and everything and then you know the work. so I want to check if my investment is going so how much is this piece now and 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 there's one person who was so jealous says I can't wait until until it dies so I can fetch so much you know so so you've got different mix of people that purchase one's work and but those I know that I would have touched and then they are drawn to the narrative. I don't think I know that they don't consider it as a luxury other than knowing that they they get something out of it in terms of uh if it's healing, if it's some it's if it's joy, if it's love, if it's hope, that's what that is. And I don't know what luxury feeds really. I, again, I'm, I I would fail in describing what luxury. Perhaps you can assist me there. <laughs> but all of what you've just described is luxury. Yes, okay. Isn't it? But go. it's interesting because you don't talk about, you know, in your description of how you approach your work and what the work means. You know, there's no 
you know, you you don't use the word luxury, but I often think, you know, luxury is not about money. It's really about the skill and the craftsmanship and the materials and the provenance and heritage, all those things. They all contribute to, you know, definitions of luxury. How do you define luxury? <laughs> I guess it's a, like, a, like you were saying now, it, it has to do with beautiful beautiful objects or beautiful objects, lifestyles that brings, you know, like harmony, that brings the hope, that makes you feel, you know, I guess, like important maybe. Uh, and, and for me, that's, that's, that's one of the aspects. And it, it, again, it's very difficult for me to, to, to express what luxury is, but, is being able to to create something that you or to to experience something that that really feeds your soul. Um, that's the perfect place for us to end. So I'm going to end on asking you the question that I ask everybody. And what is your luxury? Mine, um, I think my luxury is being able to again to 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 express myself through the medium that that I do and be able to. To travel anywhere and be able to still create and experience that beautiful piece of music that sounds amazing sound that's my luxury just having you know just being able to take the time at any given time that i need and that still will inform what i create it doesn't matter where and what i do it will still inform my uh, will form part of my narrative at certain time that's my luxury Andile Dialvani, thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. Andile, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Intellect Books, our partner. Thank you for listening. And join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. <laughs>